Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I want to thank you for joining us today. In our last time together, we spent time talking about how fathers and mothers can teach the faith to their children in a way that it will really stick when they get into those questioning and morally challenging years, and that the faith will be so strong that it will go down to their descendants, not only throughout their children's lives, but into their grandchildren's lives. And I drew your attention with particular emphasis to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I call Deuteronomy chapter 6 God's three-step strategy for keeping your kids faithful. In case you weren't with us last time, I need to emphasize Deuteronomy chapter 6 isn't some old, ancient, antiquated kind of advice for catechizing children. The children of Israel had just come out of Egypt. They're on the border of the promised land. And this was like the pregame strategy, you know, a coach getting his team ready for the challenge they're going to face. And as soon as they crossed that border, they were going to be in a land that was just filled with spiritual abominations. Um, you name it. Um, prostitution was a religious rite. Uh, sodomy, rape widespread immorality, uh, perhaps the worst of all, Moloch worship, where babies uh, were taken by the parents and given to a priest and then put on an altar with burning fire, and their babies were burned alive before their eyes. This is the kind of culture the children of Israel were going into. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God is giving the children of Israel the strategy they needed to keep their kids faithful despite the horrendous cultural situations. Now, if you're clever, I'm sure you've already connected the dots. Uh, you're facing a tough situation. It's not even as bad as the ancient situation was. At least it's not that bad yet. Uh, but if it worked back then, and this was a strategy that God directly gave to Moses, it's a strategy that can work here. And I need to emphasize that all the members of the Holy Family, Jesus, Blessed Virgin Mary, and St. Joseph, were all 100% faithful Jews. This is the educational strategy used in the Holy Family. And as Catholic families, they're our path setters. They're the ones that we want to follow in doing for our children what Joseph and Mary did for the child Jesus. Uh, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And, and they shared with him, uh, helped the spiritual formation in his humanity. He was a real boy, and they were real parents, and they really helped him in his maturity. So in Deuteronomy 6, there were three things I mentioned. And Deuteronomy 6, first of all, is the great Shema. And the Shema in Hebrew simply means to hear. But it's not like, hey, have you heard any good 
homilies lately. You know, it's not like a casual, we shouldn't go to church to hear a homily casually because a homily isn't casual. It's an exposition of, of the Word of God. And it's not like just something we um, hear for our spiritual entertainment. To hear, to shema, is to receive into depths of our being the Word of God. And as a result, we start living in a way consistent with what we hear. And so the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, is one. And then it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. So the first thing in this relational form of teaching, that's the first of this three-step strategy, is that the Word of God would be on the heart of the teacher, the teacher's heart, the depth of his being. He's not just simply you know, reading in a book some religious information. It doesn't impact his daily life, his thought life, his behavior, his outlook on everything. It's something that's impacted his heart, because what he wants to do with his child is open the child's heart in the same way. So it's from heart to heart. And second, This was taught by parents to their children because there needs to be a relationship between the teacher and the child. Because if the teacher is wanting to open the heart of the child to God or assist in that process, besides the teacher having had his or her heart open to God and God's words upon their hearts, they also must have a relationship with the child they're wanting to teach. And that's why parents are singled out here. They have the strongest relationship. As a result, they'll convey the strongest faith that sticks in any cultural situation. The strength of faith conveyed is directly proportional to the strength between teacher and child. And that's why parents are singled out. Third, there's no mention of classrooms, but of homes, family travel, and daily family life. It says you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you walk on the way. And basically in the course of family life and daily life, this is conveyed. Now, the situation we find ourselves in today is that the majority, not all, the majority of Catholic parents and the majority, not all, but the majority of Catholic parishes depend on secondary means of conveying the faith in a primary way. In other words, parents are encouraging and allowing, and parishes think it's the job of schools and CCD classes and youth groups and catechetical classes to convey the faith in a primary fashion. But when you try to convey the faith primarily in kind of an abstract classroom, not a, unnecessarily, uh, not a necessarily strong relationship between teacher and student, this doesn't get to the deepest parts of a child. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 13, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but never perceive. I know a lot of Catholic teachers that, boy, that's my student. No, that's in the Gospel of Matthew. But why do they hear, but not? it doesn't click? It doesn't get into their life. Uh, you put it on the board. You have illustrations, but there's no real spiritual perception. And Jesus diagnoses the problem. Matthew 13, verse 15. 
for this people's heart has grown dull. In other words, the heart isn't awakened, lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn for me to heal them. See, as Westerners, we think the center of all understanding is in our heads, and particularly the heads in the type of um, intellectual discovery and a bit of abstract type of knowledge. And that is certainly good and beneficial, but that's not understanding with the heart. Uh, A lot of people in the West think the heart is the place of the emotions. In the Bible, that's kind of a lower place if you point to a portion of our anatomy. That's like the bowels, the bowels of our uh, compassion. That's where the emotions are. The heart, Jesus says, they understand with the heart. St. Paul says in Romans 10, you believe with the heart. Jesus says that immorality comes out of the heart, and those who are with a pure heart see, comprehend, know God. So the heart is the center of things, and since mom and dad are closest to the child relationally, they have the best shot at opening the child's heart to God in their religious formation. And once they do that, my goodness, priests will be so grateful. Catechists will be rejoicing. CCD classes will quadruple in their effectiveness. Youth workers, like I was once, this is where I just started discovering this, I couldn't do it unless the parents were cooperating in this task. And if the parents lay the foundation to truly love God through religious instruction to them, it'll work. Now, just to let you know, that um, all over the Bible, from Genesis 18 to Psalm 78 to Ephesians 5, just warning you guys, it's coming, that the really heavy lifting in the family, remember, the parents are to do the heavy lifting, the primary lifting of catechesis, okay? Secondarily, it's the educational establishment. But even within mom and dad, the parental team, and it is to be a team, dad is the one singled out to do the primary responsibility for the teaching of the faith. Now, I can just hear dads who are listening to this broadcast and saying, how in the world am I going to give religious education to my children? Well, I have three incredibly effective ways to do this. And I'm going to share one of them with you today, and then we'll try to get to some of the others in a subsequent broadcast. But the first is a book of the Bible tailor-made for you, Dad. Mom, you too. It's a fact. It's a mom and dad book and a family book. And the nice thing, it's no 1995 price tag because it's probably already in your home. It's a book of the Old Testament called the Book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is probably one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. Now, Proverbs has 31 chapters, and this is just a suggestion. I'm just trying to make something very easy to do. Most months of the year have something close to 30, 31 days in it. So if you would take, say, a month out of the year, and if your children are older, read a 
chapter out of Proverbs each subsequent day of the month. And you can start on any day of the month. I usually started on the first of the month because my little mind couldn't keep all the facts where I was. And so if you know the date, you know what chapter, and just go. If your children are younger, I would probably say take a couple of months and read only a half a chapter. That's plenty uh, for them. And when you do this, now hear me, Dad, you are not to be Count Dracula with your spiritual authority. Seriously. Some guys think it's all up to them to just kind of like hammer their kids with religious information, and then they wonder when their kids grow up and kind of reject them and the faith together. Here's why. We're trying to open up their hearts, okay? And you don't do this with being the stern religious authority. I don't know. A lot of guys uh, have a tendency to kind of fall into that mode, and it's a deep trap. This is supposed to be something enjoyable, okay? And so I recommend some Skittles or Hershey Kisses, and I know, I know, send me an email, a kid shouldn't have sugar. But in any case, it should be fun and rewarding. And one of the things I did is ask my kids to share a verse out of Proverbs. Uh, I would read the chapter, or we go around the table and take turns reading uh, verses out of the chapter. And then I would ask the kids to each share a verse from Proverbs with the family. And a couple of times when my kids started getting to that real good stage of life when they can memorize anything quickly, and even though they do it in their short-term memory, they'd cite it out of memory uh, to the family. And if they did, they'd get their Skittles reward. And I have, I think, a verse of the Bible to kind of back this whole procedure up. In the Psalms, it says, the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. That's from Psalm 19. And a Hebrew child, when learning how to write, would have kind of a slate. And uh, I haven't actually seen this, but I've read the descriptions. There's kind of like a mixture of flour and honey. And the teacher or the parent would make the uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then the child would dip his or her finger into the honey and, and, and wheat mixture, flour mixture, and make the Hebrew letter. And if they did it correctly, their reward was they could lick their letter off the slate. In other words, it's sweet to the person. You see, um, religion is not Count Dracula again. It's you're, you're from heart to heart, heart opening heart, okay? So let's go to the book of Proverbs, and I want to show you, okay, how Proverbs is just tailor-made for you. In other words, how do we go from Deuteronomy 6, Moses' instructions for parents in the family context, in the relational context, wanting to, uh, from their hearts, open the heart of their children to God? How do you do this? And the book has been written and by the way, just I can't prove this, but I have the strongest hunch in the world that um, what I'm about to share with you was shared with the child Jesus from St. Joseph. And I don't know about you, I think that's pretty neat uh, to think that you as a dad could be sharing the exact same words with your children that St. Joseph uh, shared with the child Jesus. I don't know, if that doesn't get you motivated, well, I just don't know what would. So let's go to Proverbs and the first chapter— and verse 8, hear, 
my son, your father's instruction, and do not reject your mother's teaching, for they are a fair garland for your neck and pendants for your neck. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. That word that begins verse 8, hear, is the verb shema. Ooh. Is anything connecting with Deuteronomy 6 yet? The great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so the Father is now the one who's giving the Shema to his son. I mean, Moses, you know, is is off the scene for centuries. He's not here to give the, the word from God. And now, Dad is stepping in for Moses, so to speak. He's giving the Shema. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Now, just in case you feel left out, ladies, hang on. The second part of the verse says, reject not your mother's teaching. Do you know what the Hebrew word for teaching is? Torah. That's the name for the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. It's often called the law, but it's more than the law. It's more accurately translated an instruction. So dad is giving Moses's Shema, the great, he's reverberating the Shema, and mom is giving the Torah. You see, mom and dad's instruction, you know, hear this. It's the plea from God and it's not coming directly from God, but it's coming from God through mom and dad to the hearts of children. Now, in case you have young kids, I'm just going to fast forward. Let's say you have a five-year-old, six-year-old, fast forward 10 years, here's your problem, the peer group. I've studied teenage drug abuse and alcohol, premarital sex, all the kind of like negative behaviors you want to prevent, and it comes through the peer group. So how do you counter the peer group? Well, in that very next verse says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You see, there's, there's a contest here between the peer group's word, and that's what the rest of chapter one of Proverbs is about. They're trying to entice him, and the father's setting himself up, the son up for the real realization that later in life, he is going to be enticed to leave the way of the Lord. And that way of the Lord is also the way of mom and dad. It's been lived and loved by mom and dad and been verbally communicated by mom and dad. And this isn't just mom and dad. Listen, the very power that created the universe by the word of God, that same power is on mom and dad when they do this. Now, I'm not saying mom and dad start glowing and, you know, levitating three feet off the family room chairs and things like that. They, they look very normal, very ordinary daily family life. But I guarantee you the power of God flows at such a time. And that's just a little example from Proverbs chapter one. Let's turn the page in case we missed it in Proverbs chapter 1, because, you know, I've been studying Proverbs for a long time, and I kind of missed how Proverbs connects with Deuteronomy 6. It's the, it's the actual implementation of what Moses commanded that would work in the worst of cultural situations. Here it's going on, and I don't have to go run out and buy anything. It's right here in my Bible. Okay, 
Proverbs chapter 2. My son. My son. This is relational. Remember, if we want to teach a deep relational covenant union with God to our children, we have to have a relationship between teacher and student. So here's the relationship. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Where, where does this land? Not in the little abstract religious fact section of my brain, but treasure it up, son, deep within you. Do you get how this works? He says, then you will understand if you do this, if you search for it, you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. Now, the knowledge of God in the Hebrew world is greatly different from knowledge in the Greek world. It's not philosophical, abstract, notional, or intellectual knowledge. Knowledge in the Hebrew world is relational. To know God means you have a strong personal faith, attachment, adherence, living relationship with the living God. It's not just something, yeah, I know about God. Yeah, he's a Wikipedia. No, you are attached to him. That's what knowledge of God means in the Hebrew mindset. And then he says in verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Now, yeah, from the mouth of God, but how is, you know, the child isn't hearing God speaking. Who's he hearing? Dad. Dad in relation with his son, with, with his heart attached to God, is communicating the very mouth, the words of God to his son. This is how God communicates to children, again, in the depths, treasuring up within them. And then it says, he will guard the path of justice, preserving the way of his saints. In other words, if the word of God finds his deep root, there will be perseverance. The opposite of perseverance is falling away. Uh, it's sticky faith that causes you to persevere. It's shallow faith, which causes you to fall away. And then he goes, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who are going to try to, the peers are going to try to entice you to go here and there. And then finally it says, you'll be saved from the loose woman, from the adventurous with her smooth words. And it says, she forsakes the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant with her God. Her house sinks down to death and her paths to the shades. None who go to her come back nor do they regain the paths of life. Now, Proverbs is teaching wisdom, but you don't teach, basically, you don't understand each nugget of wisdom unless, like it's in a whole encyclopedia of that subject. But what it is doing here is giving the strongest and the sternest warning that those youth who engage in sexual immorality have a very, very high probability of losing their faith and not coming back. Did you hear that? And you, I don't have the polls, but 
you know, all of those young Catholics who are falling away, the statistics that I have given you over these broadcasts, I'd sure like to know how many have engaged in sexual immorality. And Proverbs is saying they don't retain the paths of life. But what do we do? We try to have some funny chastity speaker come in and, you know, uh, have a very entertaining talk and challenging talk, but it doesn't reach deep enough. Um, ordinary mom and dad are the ones equipped to do the chastity teaching. And you can use the book of Proverbs. And I've written two books on preparing for marriage. I've seen a ton of books on theology of the Bible and chastity books and chastity rings and chastity seminars and this and this and that. I don't haven't seen a one, and I'll include my books right in the pile, that comes close to what mom and dad could do using the book of Proverbs to teach chastity. Now, let's just imagine that you stumbled like I did for so many years over Proverbs 1 and 2, and you kind of missed the whole idea that the goal of spiritual formation of children is the formation of their heart. It's not just conveying information to the mind. And that's why, you know, so many good folks trying so hard to educate and teach youth have kind of missed the target. The target's the heart, the organ of deep spiritual understanding. So here we go again. My son, relational, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. In other words, the father has personalized God's commandments are on dad's heart. Dad loves the son. Dad opens his mouth and tells the son to love God and put God's words in the same place that dad has, in his heart. And when the word is in the heart, he doesn't fall away when he goes off to college. Now, let's just imagine you didn't catch chapter 3, verse 1. So let's go to verse 3 in chapter 3. Bind them about your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Are you getting this? I mean, this is repeated like everywhere. Okay. Dad's saying, God's commandments are my commandments. Those are the things on my heart. Put them on your heart. And then it says in verse 5, trust, believe in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You see, the faith is directed to the heart. And mom and dad, especially dad, and you'll see this in the book of Proverbs, it has both mom and dad, but dad particularly, is so equipped to speak to the heart of a child what God has done in his own heart. And, and this is the way the faith can be given to another generation in the way that uh, it will really stick. We don't have to worry about uh, what our culture is doing as much as what we are doing. Are we as parents loving God with all our hearts, soul, and might, and then teaching our children to love him in the same way? Till next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.